Hey, Steve Adubato, Mary Gamba, Brian Brodeur in the studio. We are welcome. He actually pulled over on his way back from somewhere up in New York State. He pulled over to a rest stop. He is safe. He is not driving. He is Greg Lalavi, business manager, international Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, one of the more innovative leaders you will find. As you check out our friends, uh, was the feature, Greg, in New Jersey Business or ROI or both of them about you and your team innovating all the time? Where was that? Uh, I believe there was a little in each of those publications. Yeah, check out our website on stand-deliver.com, and there's a link to ROI NJ and also NJ Biz, they did features on Greg and his organization. But Greg, let's jump right into this. By the way, he's on the highway because he was at a meeting. Greg, you and I have talked a lot offline about leadership. And I, in fact, uh, we at Stand and Deliver have been honored by being given the opportunity by you and your colleagues to lead, teach, and coach the Stand and Deliver Leadership Academy at your organization with some of your top people. Where did your healthy obsession about leadership and learning more about leadership come from? Most of it came from my father. He instilled in me just a thirst for knowledge and uh, you know an idea of having critical and strategic thinking. One of the things we did almost on a nightly basis was played a, a couple hours of chess, and I learned later in life that he was teaching me life lessons, not necessarily a board game. So I credit my father with that. But it's it's so interesting. I remember you telling me this. Greg and I were having breakfast one day, and he started talking about that, the chess thing, and he didn't realize it at the time. Greg, as a leader of this organization, the operating engineers, are you, in fact, playing chess every day as a leader? Every single day and in, in everything that I do, always looking at three moves ahead or four moves ahead of where our organization needs to be or what road it needs to head down and, and how to strategically get there. Let's talk about that. Because when I was mentioning ROI and NJ Biz, one of the things that was focused on is how Greg Lalavi, as a leader, has embraced, not just accepted, but embraced technology and innovation as a way not just to survive, but thrive as uh, a union of operating engineers. How is that connected to leadership, Greg Lalavi? Well, I believe it's necessary that we understand where the economy is headed for in the industry that we're in, which is primarily construction, most of it heavy equipment operating, and technology, IT, artificial intelligence is moving into our business each and every day. And I believe our members, one, need to learn it, need to embrace it. And then to capture the work that will be there in the future, because there will be work to do in the future, we will need to train and understand and be prepared to move into those jobs rather than be simply displaced from what we're currently doing. Greg, how challenging has it been for you as a leader? By the way, how often do you have to get elected? Every three years. Every three years. Now, it's, it's a major challenge because people just generally are resistant to change and bringing this out. I've been approached at, at a union meeting where one of my members said, well, I would think that we would be against mechanization and modernization because it would displace jobs, which might be at a rudimentary level, true. However, there's no way to stop it. So rather than trying to get into a contest where we're trying to slow it down, it's just to embrace it and move into it because it's going to be here. So it's an educational process to the membership. And constantly reminding them of 
upgrades in technology and what's going on in the world and, and things that are happening in our industry that might not necessarily be in our immediate line of sight, but are certainly out there and, and thriving. One of those being equipment that runs autonomously. We know about driverless cars. You know, there's also the similar move with construction equipment to have, you know, that to be an autonomous piece of equipment without somebody necessarily being in the seat at the controls. So to that end, by the way, you're listening to Greg Lalavie from the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, where our company is uh, proud to be partners with. We do leadership development um, for those folks, this team. Let me ask you this, Greg. A, is it fair to say that you're constantly reading about leadership, finding new books, articles on a regular basis? Each and every day, your website is a a treasure trove of some of those articles, but I'm always trying to stick my head into a new book and get my arms around what critical thinkers are thinking about leadership or what philosophies is there. I ran across one thing recently that said, if you weren't embarrassed of the person you were a year ago, you're not learning enough. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Hold I love on. that. That's, that's too, too, way too profound. By the way, Greg talks about our website. It's stand-deliver. Dot com stand dash deliver.com go back and talk about that embarrassment thing again greg go that's ahead. fascinating i can't let you go with that you can explain it no it, it's a quote that i read that just simply said anyone who is not embarrassed by who they were last year probably is not learning enough and to that end i think to lead an organization means that myself as the leader needs to commit to learning each and every day and understanding what's going on in the world, specifically in the industries where we exist, and what's outside of that world and what may impact it at some point in time. So we talk a lot about the connection between leadership and being a, an innovator, being a strategic thinker, a critical thinker, as Greg says. But here's what's fascinating to me, Greg. I've gotten to know some of the people on the team, um, your team. When you told them <laughs> we're creating – you're laughing already – uh, by the way, I let full disclosure, Greg is a huge Butler fan, a Monmouth University fan. He loves college basketball, I think probably more than the pros, because it is more interesting. So that's a non sequitur. I'm a Seton Hall fan. I, so I, I just, wondered where you're going Well, with because that. it's a Big East thing. We, when we, this uh, basketball thing is over, we'll all be better well, off. Well, we're not sorry. We're not talking about hockey, Mary, I which know. is your sport. Sorry. So, um, Greg, here's the thing. When you told your direct reports, your leaders— Hey, we're going to have a leadership academy where Adubato's coming in and we're going to talk about presentation skills and leading change and coaching and mentoring other people and facilitating conversation and how to have better meetings and how to – what was the reaction you got from your folks? Because you're the innovator. That doesn't mean they're the innovators. Well, it was a very curious reaction because most of the, the people on my team feel, rightfully so, that they're – at or near the apex of their career have moved into levels within our organization that you know, are at the highest level. So in many times, you know, people in that place get complacent and feel like, well, I, you know, I've been I'm already really good. Sorry for, Greg, sorry for interrupting. I'm already really good. Why I've are you arrived. doing this? I have arrived. I'm good. I'm already, Greg, what's the matter? Is there a problem with me? Why are you doing this? Well, <laughs> but, well, and, and you know, and, and since since you delved into the college basketball thing and highlighted my fandom of Butler University, Butler has a leadership academy on their campus. Really? Um, and it's all centered around what's called the Butler Way. And you'll hear 
commentators on TV refer to it, but if you were to go outside Hinkle Fieldhouse on the campus and then into the locker room of the men's basketball team, they are five principles, and those principles are defined, and I would suggest they're very good leadership principles, and it all comes down from their former coach who coached baseball, basketball, and football, Fred Hinkle, from who the Fieldhouse is named, but the principles are humility, which is defined as understanding your own strengths and weaknesses, passion, committing yourself to excellence. So there, to me, is the, the learning component we just talked about. Unity, trying to keep your team together and not divide it at all so that you can move and grow together. A commitment they call servanthood to making your teammates better, which is where I bring stand and deliver in to make my teammates better and elevate their game. And thankfulness, where you're committing to learning from every experience you have. And that's that's the five principles that they run their school on. That's the Butler way. That's the Butler way. And they have the Butler Way Leadership Academy on their campus for most of their student-athletes. That is awesome. That is awesome. So I'm curious about this. So, again, I often say this. Where you start in a situation isn't necessarily – the way it plays out, meaning I remember the first day I worked with Greg and his team. So I guess we have seven people in the Leadership Academy, and Greg and his team picked these folks, and they're talented people. Talk about Mary's brand is getting stuff done. These are I'll say they're guys because they happen to be all men. They get stuff done. But leadership is about more than, quote, getting stuff done. Some of them came in very skeptical of why are we doing this, but I'm going to say this and it's a credit to your team, virtually all of them have been incredibly open to constructive feedback. They're getting up, giving presentations about how they can, their job, just without getting into the weeds, one of their jobs, and we do this in all our seminars, is you have to give a three-minute presentation on how to improve some aspect of the organization. It's not simply an informational presentation. As a leader, you have to move people to action. You have to propose a change. Why is the status quo not good enough? What would be the benefits of this change? And what happens if we don't? They're getting up and doing that. Some of them are having, like not just Greg's people, they're anxious, they're nervous about it, but they're doing it, Greg, and they're receiving feedback and they become more open to that feedback and they're better because of it. Translation, are you somewhat surprised by what's happening with your people? Surprised isn't probably the word. It's happy about it. There are people that, from my estimation, I believe this has been in them, and it's been cultural, I think, in our organization over years to not necessarily approach the leader and say, hey, I've got this idea or that idea, because that's just not the way things were done in our place. And one of the ideas, one of the change presentations that you've seen already has an outline, has a uh, like a steering committee that we've called it. It's already being implemented. It's kind of running down the road already. So that it's the kind of feedback, I think, of the organization that as a leader, I need to hear because there's no leader that has every great idea out there. And you need the team on the train and giving the feedback or offering their observations, not that each and every one of those things will get implemented. But I think as things do get implemented, it will change a culture to say, hey, this isn't so bad. I can walk into the leader's office and say, hey, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? And I might not get it, but I might get it. 
and I think that just leads to more commitment to the organization. Greg Lalavi is a business, the business manager, International Union of Operating Engineers, uh, Local 825. Mary, me, you, and Greg have talked a lot offline the couple of minutes we have left about the connection between leadership and sports. Mm -hmm. uh, your boys are into hockey. Yep. Uh, you've seen a fair number of hockey coaches, fair to say? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Uh, not all the best leaders? Mm -mm, definitely not. How much do you believe, Greg, that beyond the X's and O's of sports, that to be a truly great coach, he or she must be an exceptional leader? There is such a connection between, and it's it could be sports, but it could be, as Greg was talking about earlier, doing chess. It's, it's about seeing the bigger picture, working in a team. If you're leading, if it's a team on the ice, if it's a team on a, what do they call it, a basketball court, I guess. I it's don't know. It's called basketball court. Floor, the wood floor. <laughs> um, the, the, the hardwood. The hardwood. I know. We say, yeah, we say on the ice. I'm like, Got oh, it. on the wood. So what about if you're just great on the X's and O's, Mary, and you don't do the motivating thing? There's, you don't give the feedback thing. You you don't pump your people up. You don't challenge them. You don't give them feedback, but you're really great on the X's and O's and you developed a great game plan. Isn't that enough to be a great leader it coach? It is not because you need to develop each individual player so that as a team, they can be more effective. Really? Yes. And that is a lot more. You could have a losing season and still have a group of players, whether it's on the ice or in the boardroom, who are more collaborative, who are more creative, and who then, frankly, come back next season or for the next project, if you're talking about in the office, yeah. with more energy and passion and enthusiasm. With a losing season. Greg, real before I let you go, can you be a great leader of a sports team with a losing season? Absolutely. I think you have to take time to instill a culture. You know, I think knowing that Mary enjoys her hockey, you could take the New York Islanders, the switch in coach mm -hmm. from the gentleman who coached the Capitals last year to this year. Yep. Look at the two records with basically the same players. Right. But no, I believe coaches can have losing seasons. Coaches rebuild, retool. You move people who, who either fit the culture or not of what you do. You know, there's been successful coaches that have had down years where they just rebuilt and retooled and come back a few years later. So sometimes that retooling is necessary. Before I let you go, Greg, you are not the leader you were a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. And how excited are you about the leader you're going to continue to be over the next many years as a leader of this organization? Very. You know, I enjoy the innovation piece where we're changing our educational platform. Yeah. Tell folks real quick about that. Tell folks real quick, Greg, what's happening on the education front? We're turning our training school uh, hopefully into a licensed two-year college where we're going to start to have associate's degrees as part of our training program. You know, we're for all the public policy debate about free college, uh, that's something that we want to give to our members, and we believe that that's where we need to go to meet the technology of the future. We have to be educated about it, so it'll be more classroom than what we're used to, but moving in the right direction, and it's things like this that transform the organization, but I'll keep it, I believe, at the top of our game. We've got great people, we historically have, and we want to keep them sharp and keep them great and keep supplying our employers with top-notch people. That's our goal. So there it is. We talk about innovation. Greg's creating a college. <laughs> he just, it doesn't stop. Hey, Greg, listen, uh, thank you for pulling off uh, somewhere up in upstate New York after a meeting, joining us on the uh, Leadership Hour. You've added great wisdom and insight, and you're a great partner and friend. All the best, my friend. Get home safe. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Have a great day. You got it. This is Steve Adubato. That's Mary Gamba. We're also joined by our colleague and friend, 
Brian Brodeur at East Main Media. We'll be right back. I can get this out. I'm a broadcaster right after this. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Welcome back to the Leadership Hour. I'm Steve Adubato. We're here with Mary Gamba and our colleague Brian Brodeur. Um, we're just listening to Greg Lolovy. By the way, the International Union of Operating Engineers, like, they build stuff. Like, they get to use, like, heavy machinery. Do you know how badly I want to do that? I want to go out and use a digger. I want to— Are you serious? Yes. You don't have any desire to do that? No. Forget it. I forgot who I was talking to. None. I know. <laughs> I would do that? Okay. You want to do digging? I do. I do. I, I want to—I see them out there with the heavy back cranes. Hose, heavy cranes. It's like you've got these tiny little handles, and they're operating and moving— and creating something that wasn't there before. It's fascinating. Oh, my God. I barely no. want to drive. Um, I'm right? sorry. Um, that, I digress. Am I, I the only one, Brian? Do you want to ever want to use a big backhoe? I don't know. No. I mowed so many lawns when I was a teenager. Yeah. I don't want machinery anymore. I'll stay lawns. in the studio. I, you I mowed mean, lawns? Oh, yeah, as a kid. I delivered newspapers, but then sooner or later my mother did it for me because I <laughs> – I'm sorry. Um, I digress. I learned early on – because I wasn't as responsible, the price you pay when you're not. What did Greg say? If you're not embarrassed. Yes, by, by the you that you were a year ago, then you're doing something wrong. As a leader. Yes. I'm embarrassed by stuff I did two days ago. Yes, I know. <laughs> it it happens, and it's yes, okay. I know. But that means that you're growing every day. You're not waiting a year to grow. No, so it just grow. means you screw up a lot. Not you, me. So Steve Adubato, Mary, and uh, Brian in the studio. Let me, let me, I'm going to shift gears. I know I said I wanted to talk about empathy, but I'm going to save that for another show. So it's interesting. When I'm working with Greg's, Greg Lalavi's people, the operating engineers, and these are guys, and they happen to be all guys, who, again, deal with heavy equipment machinery. But they also are required, being the leaders that they are, they negotiate contracts. They do all kinds of things, right? Being an exceptional communicator is important. So I have them up there making presentations. And some of them, they don't really want to do that, but they need to because they'll be in that situation. So here's my question. You and I have had this conversation offline a million times, Mary. Let's have it on the air on AM 970 and on our podcast. We had a client the other day who we were working with. And let's say he or she had to make a major presentation and what he or she came in with was a laundry list of items that he or she wanted to talk about. And it was all this stuff. It was a ton of stuff. We did this, we did this, we did this, we did this, and then we did this. And I said, I asked a simple question. What's the question? What's your main message? Or? What is the main yeah. message of this presentation? What do you want and them to walk away with? As always, you start at the end and move back to the front. What do you want the audience to walk away with? And my client said, our client said, I don't know. I was really busy putting all these points together. And I said, well, shouldn't you start with the main message? This is a leadership question because when leaders communicate in a strategic way and their message is clear, they have a better chance of people not just understanding them, but engaging those people and getting them actually to do something, to move, which last time I checked is the essence of leadership, getting people to follow or at least be a part of what you're doing. So here's my point. I actually said to the client, the greatest speeches of all time, Dr. Martin Luther King, I have a dream. What was his message? 
he had a dream, mm -hmm. and this was the dream, and he described it. What was John F. Kennedy's message in 1961 when, before you were born, Mary, and um, I was a little infant, and he spoke at his inauguration. What was his message? We, as a country, are better than the Russians when it comes to getting to the moon, and we're going to win this space challenge. Mm -hmm. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country to be part of this cause. Everything in that speech, everything in Dr. King's speech, everything in Ronald Reagan's speech, shining his, uh, he gave a speech, uh, uh, the Good Morning America, uh, not Good Morning America, that's a show, Morning in America, back in the day. Mm -hmm. His speech, every speech that he gave when he ran for president was about this a new day in America, a reason to be optimistic. There was a message, mm -hmm. point being. Why do you think it's so difficult for so many people in quote unquote leadership positions? Steve Adubato here with Mary Gamba. Brian, jump in as well. Um, and a lot of people struggle with this. When they're doing a presentation in front of any audience, they're just gathering a ton of information and bullet points and stuff, but they have no idea what their message is, and it's so hard for them to figure it out. When I argue, if you figure out the message first, then you only go with the bullet points that support your message because that's leadership. Mm -hmm. Is it, Why am I acting like this is such a... Because it seems like it's common sense, and unfortunately, it's it's not as easy as it sounds. Because? We make it sound easy. How because, do we learn in school, by the way, well, to make more, presentations? Well, because in school, you do learn a very stepwise way to do it and to... Gather uh, your information. Gather your information, get your sources. On your index cards and Make then? sure you use quotes and, you know, and, and regurgitate the information. And instead of and oftentimes in life, not just in school, you're taught more is better. And, you know, sometimes more is just more. It doesn't make it any better. And less is more being more efficient with your communicating and making sure that you're communicating those key messages or a message and then themes that support it is so much better. But the other thing that we've always shared with our clients, they often see it as an opportunity. Hey, I've got eight minutes to tell this room everything that I know. I'm going to sound so smart right now. And a lot of people confuse spewing off a whole bunch of information with being perceived as being knowledgeable and being smart. And hey, I've got this. I really know my stuff. And that's not and should not be what it's about. It should be about that key message mm. that everybody in that room leaves with. And this is the point that we've often raised, Brian, and to everyone listening right now is great leaders, really great leaders, mm -hmm. when they speak, they have an impact. They, excuse me, they make an impact. They impact people. And so the theme that we've been harping on in a lot of our work is the difference between activity versus impact. And so when people communicate as leaders about their activity, I'm involved in this and this and this and this and this and this and this. So if you're going for a, a job or you're, you're being interviewed by a college or you're going after college trying to get a job, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. And so the same way people speak in public situations. Nobody cares. That that's activity. Impact is... Now, let me tell you a story. I, I was recently uh, working in a summer camp, and I met this, this kid named Johnny. And this kid had no dad. He came from a, a poor, um, a, frankly, a disadvantaged background. And when I met him, I realized that he had a gift and he had a talent. And I worked with this kid over the summer. And let me tell you the impact it had on him, this camp. And let me tell you where he's going today. And let me tell you what his potential future is tomorrow. That's impact. Activity is... 
I did this, I did this, I did this, and this at the camp. Nobody cares. But they'll remember about Johnny. You had an impact on this kid, and that's what leaders do. And am I, I don't know how I came to this gestalt, which is another way of saying, a way of thinking of things, right? Mm -hmm. But it struck me that we're trained as kids to communicate information without a main message, and that's just a bunch of activity, and you check off the box, I got through that presentation. Brian? Well, there's a big difference between data and storytelling. And that's a little bit of what you're talking about. It is a lot of what I'm talking about. Now, Steve, you're a natural communicator and a practiced one. Uh, you're very good at what you do. Not all leaders or business professionals are that. But it can be coached and trained. Right. Well, that's my question for you. You know, where is that part of what you do in your leadership coaching is separating that data from the storytelling, as you just described. So, so Brian Bordeaux just asked a great question. And by the way, this is the Leadership Hour. It's Steve Autobato and Mary Gamba and Brian on our team. Here's the thing. When someone starts quoting statistics, right, and they believe it's so impressive, and there's one statistic after another statistic, leaders do this, um, presidents do it, governors do it. We've reduced crime by 67. Okay, I got it. But then there's 17 other statistics, numbers. One of the quotes I often use in coaching is numbers can be numbing. numbing, meaning, huh, I can't pay attention to anymore. So I'll often stop my clients in the middle of the numbers and I'll say, I want you to start the next sentence this way. Let me tell you about a situation that happened in a community I was working in with this family, the Johnson family. Let me tell you about how violence has affected their life. Let me tell what? My client will say, what? I said, no, tell me about a real life situation. Brian's talking about storytelling. Coaching people to tell stories on the surface seems unnatural for them. But once you get them to say, well, you go, you all say things like this. For example, they'll say, what do you mean? I say, for example, now finish the sentence. Well, for example, I had this client the other day. For example, I was walking down the street. Let me tell you a story about... It's a long-winded way of saying it's a total retraining of the mind, of the spirit, of the way we talk about things because we remember mm -hmm. stories, we forget numbers. What does that have to do with leadership? It has everything to do with leadership. If you are a leader communicating to your team about why whatever, it could be a new initiative, it could be a new procedure that you're rolling out, a new way of doing things, you need to first, sure, you could talk about how it's going to save the company 20% over the course of five years. What's 20% even mean? That means that because of that, you're going to have more money to put more food on your table, to put your kid through college. We may be able to hire a new person. Exactly. We may be able to give raises. Mm -hmm. Use concrete examples that are relevant and relatable to your audience. And that's also something very important that uh, to throw in there when it comes to storytelling. Not the same. One story isn't going to work with every audience. You also need to know your audience. First rule of communication is? Is to, it's all about them. Know your mm -hmm. audience, right? And know your audience. But yeah, in order to do that. And because if you are, say, the president of an organization and you're talking to your board, you're going to talk a lot differently to them than, say, you would your uh, newbies, the new people that are in your company, because you can't use that same language. You can't relate to them on a, you know, oh, well, because you did this, you're going to get, you know, a billion-dollar bonus. Well, that's oh, not oh, going to— Oh, I'm going to interrupt you there for a second, Mary mm -hmm. Gamba. One of my clients said the other day, Steve, you don't understand. This is a formal 
presentation. So I said, what do you mean it's formal? Hmm. You're dressing up in a tuxedo and doing the trip? No, 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 you don't understand. This, the thing you say, Steve, about being conversational, telling stories, uh, providing examples and anecdotes, it doesn't work for them because it's a formal presentation. So I said, let me get this straight. Are you telling me whether they're the newbies, as you said, or the board of trustees or whoever it is, you think a great leader can't communicate with an anecdote, a story, an example, a personal whatever, because it's a formal presentation? Somehow you've broken some no, formal no, rule? No. No, no. I think it's different, though. The types of stories that you use may be a little bit different, but the same style of communication would be the same. Because? Because we're all human beings. There it is. Yeah, we get bored. And especially in today's day and age with everything's instant communication, everything's quick, everything's in sound bites, so many characters are less – our minds are now trained and retrained, even us. I mean, when we were, I know when I was going to college, it was about more. It was about, oh, you need to read this book by- How many pages does the term paper have to be? Oh my gosh, <laughs> like 22 pages and, and- How about if it was 16, but really had great impact or and had a clear yet, message, yeah. oh, sorry, you didn't write the extra yeah, six. How hard is it to edit down to say six to 800 words? It's a lot harder to edit down to what really matters than it is to just fill a whole bunch of pages with words. How long was the Gettysburg Address? Oh, I don't know. Two minutes. Did you know that, Brian? I did know that. Two minutes. Got to go back and do his. That's like saying to Abraham Lincoln, listen, I know you're talking about the future of the Union at the most critical time in our history with slavery and the Civil War. Geez, you know, could you add about 15 or 20 minutes so we can do the State of the Union? No, it's two minutes. That's all I've got. Mm -hmm. Gettysburg Address. Meaning you can have great impact in a few moments. Exactly. Anyway, I can't believe I started talking about, by the way, that Lincoln. so powerful, by the way. What? Using Lincoln in this example is very I, powerful. I read, Mary. I do. You were very the, well By the read. way, there's a wonderful book called we, Lincoln. I read too, but I don't read the same books that you're reading. A uh, <laughs> wonderful book by Doris Kearns Goodwin, Lincoln on Leadership. Check it out. Mm -hmm. Doris Kearns Goodwin. Uh, Lessons in Leadership is a really good book written by Steve Adubato. Stay on that one. By the yeah. way, if you check out Lessons in Leadership, which you can find on our website, stand-deliver.com, there's actually a chapter called Lincoln on Leadership. Exactly. Because I learned an awful lot about him and doing the research there. Listen, um, I want to thank Mary and Brian and Greg was with us, Greg Lalavi on this show, who pulled over from New York to do this show. Great show. That's it. I got any, nothing else. I want to thank our clients and our friends for making this possible, our partners and friends at AM 970. Stay tuned for the second half hour of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour because coming up is State of Affairs with me, Steve Adubato. Important conversation that impacts your lives every day. See you next week. This is Mary Gamba. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with State of Affairs with Steve Adubato, where we look at the most pressing issues facing the state of New Jersey. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources. Hi, I'm Rich Ribeiro. The Terrell Fund is committed to educating the public about the need to support New Jersey's infants and toddlers right from the start. That's why we're proud to support the important early childhood programming produced by the Caucus Educational Corporation. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at 2 Gateway. Funding has been provided by the Turrell Fund, supporting right from the start NJ, Johnson & Johnson, NJM Insurance Group, 
International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 825, Fedway Associates, Keystone Mountain Lakes Regional Council of Carpenters, your future is in our building. And by Suez, water solutions to meet tomorrow's environmental challenges. Promotional support provided by Insider NJ and by the New Jersey Business and Industry Association. Welcome to State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato. More importantly, we're coming to you from the Agnes Veras NJTV studio in Newark. Back by popular demand is John Bramnick, Assemblyman John Bramnick. He is the Assembly Minority Leader. He's got a new book out. Now, on public television, we don't like to plug, but there aren't a lot of legislators who have books like this. Why People Don't Like You by the funniest lawyer in New Jersey, John Bramnick. The premise of the, listen, we'll talk about the Murphy budget in a second, but what's the premise of this book, John? The premise is uh, interpersonal skills are important, so I have 200 rules of things you shouldn't do. You should not do? Should not do. Give me one. Yeah, when you shake hands with somebody, yes. don't hurt me. You know, certain people want to squeeze your hand so much that I understand you work out, and I know a firm handshake's important, but just don't injure me. I like that. And like if you that. give me a hug, easy on the hug, okay? Be, don't pull it. Okay, we'll leave that alone. Um, speaking of hugging, are you hugging? Watch this transition, this segue. Are you hugging Governor Murphy after, by the way, we're doing this a week after the governor's budget address. Are you hugging him? Listen, cutting some spending? Making an arrangement with the CWA, the Communication Workers of America, to, to reduce some health care costs? You like this budget, right? Well, some things are good and some things are bad. What do you like? What don't you like? Well, what I don't like is the fact that we don't cap state spending. We cap, we have a 2% cap on local, on local spending. But in the last two years, in these two budgets, you know, we have spending 9 10% increase. Now, why is state government not following its own laws with respect to what we do with local governments? I, th I think everyone knows we have to cap state government at 2%. But, but, but Assemblyman, isn't it fair to say, and, and most objective analysts have said that the, governor, the governor's budget is pretty tame in terms of spending, and he could have spent or proposed spending a lot more. Well, well everybody can spend more. But what was important here was I think Murphy got some message from the legislature, both Democrats and Republicans. What was the message? Well, last time I think spending went up 7.5 percent. Yes, it did. He wasn't negotiating with the legislature. He wasn't cutting benefits. So health care uh, benefits, uh, uh, pension for, benefits for public employees. Well, especially health care benefits. So he negotiated a reduction in health care benefits for state employees, which is good. Right. But this is somebody who believes, one, in raising taxes, because he's already indicated he wants to raise more income taxes in a state where we're overtaxed. But on millionaires. So, well, you know, it's funny. If it's somebody else's income tax, then it's okay. But you would agree that people are leaving this state. You would agree uh, that su successful people, many successful people, are leaving the state. Uh, Why? What makes you think that's about taxes? Well, I don't think they're, le I don't think they're leaving for simply because uh, the, the weather's better somewhere else. This is absolutely a serious problem in the state. But let's get back to Murphy for a second. I think Governor Murphy got a message from the legislature that, you know, spending and cutting uh, taxes is important. He just hasn't followed it 100 percent. He's starting to get a little bit of that message. Assemblyman, do you believe there's support, in, in all seriousness, for the millionaire's tax? Last year it was a $5 million. If you earned $5 million or more, I believe you were taxed at a higher rate. The governor, Governor Murphy, has said, and by the way, we look forward to having Governor Murphy right here uh, in NGTV studios talking about these things, defending his own budget, making his case. He says, look, you know what? 
we got to go lower. A million dollars is still a significant income, and we need that revenue in order to fund pre-K programs, in order, in order to fund more dollars to public schools, in order to have infrastructure projects, in order to do a whole range of New Jersey Transit, right? He is a big government spender, and he believes, for some reason, that we are undertaxed. This state is the highest tax state in the country, has the worst business climate in the country, and then he's going to increase taxes on those individuals who create jobs. He doesn't believe this is going to have an effect on people who create businesses here, more regulation on business. He calls it fairness. He calls it tax fairness. Well, if, if we were loaded with cash and we had surpluses and we could do everything we wanted as a government, then maybe some of Murphy's ideas would be appropriate. Right. But not in a state where we have to compete with other states and try to bring businesses in and keep jobs here. Uh, I don't think he gets that part of the message. What about the innovation initiative? He's thought we're doing a whole series on innovation in New Jersey, the future of innovation. The governor has said that it's this innovation state. We need to promote that. And it's a way to promote our economy. Of course. But those innovation companies have to feel as if they can do business here and they can have people live here, that it's not unaffordable. You know, it's not just, I want innovation here, I want innovation companies here. If I want innovation companies here, I have to make it affordable to bring in people to work here mm -hmm. and for companies to do business here. Assemblyman, what's going to happen? By the way, we're, we're joined by Assemblyman John Bramnick, who's been in the legislature for a few years? Yeah, 2003. 2003. He is the ranking Republican in um, the lower house. Legalizing marijuana, I guess your colleagues call it cannabis in the legislation, it's marijuana. It appears that many of your colleagues are looking to say, listen, we don't really want to even vote on this. We would rather have the citizens of New Jersey make their decision on this. Should the decision to legalize marijuana in New Jersey, Assemblyman Bramnick, go to voters and not state legislators? And if that's the case, are you not ducking this? Well, first, I think the Democrats in the legislature are going to pass legalized marijuana. You do? Oh, absolutely. Uh, they'll probably wait for after the election because they're afraid of the repercussions from that because there are a lot of moms out there who don't believe another drug should be introduced into our society. Respectfully, some of it is, the last poll I saw, saw that mo said that most New Jerseyans are supportive of legalizing marijuana. Well, I'm t I said moms of, okay. like, teenage kids. And I can tell you, government now is going to endorse another drug with all of the drug problems we have in this country. But let's go back to whether people should vote on it. I'd be happy to see people vote on it. That, that's not necessarily how I would vote. What would, you vote. would you vote against it? I would absolutely do the following. Nobody should go to jail for having small amounts of marijuana. No one should lose their career. But I would not vote to endorse another drug in a society where we have an incredible problem with everything from opiates to alcohol. It's, it's basically government saying, hey, here's another drug you should try. You would decriminalize. Absolutely. But not 100%. legalized. There's a difference? Big difference. Okay. Big difference is I just don't want to endorse another drug. Okay, try this. Um, last time you were here on State of Affairs, you, you're very candid about uh, the tone and tenor. By the way, um, let, Jackie, put up the website, our website. We'll put uh, Simon Bramnick's uh, video. You did a social media hit. I don't know whether it was on Facebook or wherever it was, where you said, look, we need to stop acting like we hate each other and we're enemies. We just have different ideas. And the tone of political discourse is out of control in this country. What was the message and why did you send it? Yeah, I'm really sad about that. Uh, now it seems as if we're enemies on opposite sides of the aisle. I mean, why is it personal? This is public policy. Why is it personal? 
Uh, not well, a hypothetical, but well, why is it personal? Well, it's become personal because I think even in the media, you have two sides. You have Fox and MSNBC, and both of them never say anything good about the other PBS side. We have PBS where we don't pick sides, well, that, but that's another story. Absolutely, but you're not out there to just try to get ratings. You're, you know, you have public financing. It's a little different model than the private industry. So what's happened today, the only people who get on TV are the people really mad at the other side. If you're in the middle and you're like trying to look at public policy and you're neutral and you're trying to understand, you won't get the, you won't be interviewed by any of those channels. And so everyone thinks you either have to be A or B. You can't be in the middle of anything. And you can, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. That's how you get on there. It, of course, you have to, you have to be radical on one side or the other. And demonize your opponent. Absolutely, and I have to tell you, this is one of the most dangerous mm -hmm. things I've seen in society. My dad used to say, if you said something like the president's a bum, he goes, no, no, you, you don't disrespect anybody in public office. You treat everyone with respect and discuss the issue. You always do that, Assemblyman. By the way, I want to clarify, um, we spend a fair amount of our time raising private dollars to do what we do, as you well know. No, um, in terms of government funding. Um, but you're as close to the middle of the road in public television as anybody could be. That's our mission. It and to share well. information. Uh, Senator John Bramnick, uh, one more time. Here's the book. Why People Don't Like You the fun <laughs> by the Funniest Lawyer. He's also the funniest legislator. But I often tell him that wouldn't take much in New <laughs> Jersey. John Bramnick, thank you, John. Thanks, appreciate it. Appreciate it. I'm Steve Adubato. We're at NJTV Studios, the Agnes Ferris Studio. We'll be right back right after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. State of Affairs is honored to uh, welcome our good friend, Assemblywoman Shavonda Sumter, a Democrat uh, representing what area of the state? 35th District, Patterson, Northern New Jersey. And uh, in fact, have a title and leadership of the Democratic Party, which is? Majority Conference Leader of the New Jersey General Assembly. You dedicated much of your life, not just in the legislature, but uh, as a leader at a major health care system. You are, uh, in fact, Vice President of Hackensack UMC, Mountainside Hospital. Much of your focus is on infant um, mortality rates, yes. particularly in the black community, five times higher than five whites? Five times higher, one of the highest in the country, just in New Jersey alone. And because? Because we, for, I, I will say this, our health commissioner has uh, taken a concerted effort, and our first lady- Dr. Tam Elna Hall. Dr. Elna Hall, first lady Tammy Murphy- That's right. Has really taken this under their belt. Since the 90s, we've been in the high, high, ranks of infant immortality for African-American women, five times higher. Shouldn't happen. A mother shouldn't have to worry about losing her life and the life of her child uh, upon birth, low birth rates. And we have a, a sundry of issues that really fall into that, and uh, not only as a healthcare professional, but as a majority conference leader, as a vice chair of the Legislative Black Caucus, we really focused on this initiative. By the way, uh, folks, we'll put up our website right now for an initiative we've been working on for about a year now. It's called Right From The Start NJ, focusing on infants and toddlers and those who care for them. Assemblywoman, what does the state need to do more to help 
protect infants and toddlers and those who care for them? Oh, Steve, thank you for asking that question. Uh, we need to put money with this, so I am pleased that in the governor's proposed budget, $1 million will be dedicated to doulas. We're talking about a relationship with healthcare professionals for this um, community. Excuse me for interrupting. Sure. Explain who and what doulas are. So doulas are birthing coaches for women who may not have a birthing coach or may not know the questions to ask of their professionals and how to talk to professionals who are caring for them during that sensitive time when they're pregnant. Um, what questions to ask our healthcare professional? There's something that we learned, uh, which is implicit bias. As much as we teach cultural sensitivity right. in the healthcare setting, in fact, we do annual trainings, there's still a language gap where African American mothers are not being heard, whether they're professionals, whether they're in poverty or low wage earners. We need to make sure that their voices are clear uh, when they're in the sensitive birthing time. And that healthcare professionals do not ignore all the complications and questions that they have. So doulas will help support them through that in a healthy lifestyle to carry to full term. There's a bias involved in there, Senator? There is. Explain a, that to us. Give us an example there, of what that looks there's like. There's an absolute bias and absolute uh, racism um, connected with an African American mother giving birth. There is a, a blind spot to the stigmas and traumas that they may face leading up into the birthing cycle poverty, low-wage earning, child care for children who may be at home, access to transportation mm. just to get to appointments. Social determinants of health. Social determinants of health, classic examples. And for decades at this point, we've ignored those factors, which has led to us having the highest rates of infant and mother immortality in the state of New Jersey, wow. in all of the states, in our entire country. We're number 48. And I'm embarrassed. Out of 50 states. Out of 50 states. I'm embarrassed that we're number 48. And we can actually do something to mm. change this. Ironically, number 48 in that area, but New Jersey is considered behind Connecticut the second wealthiest state Correct. in the nation. So, so we have to work on this issue. Let's talk about this. Um, I'm curious about, when you talk about the governor's budget, the governor's called for raising taxes on millionaires last year. The budget called for raising taxes on people who earn over $5 million a year. What do you think of raising taxes on those who earn a million bucks or more? So the, the hard part for me, uh, Steve, is the wealth gap and the disparity in the wealth gap in New Jersey. Uh, the poverty rates have increased and the wealth gap has increased. So you have folks who are in that middle class, which is shrinking, that can't give anymore. You can't get blood from a stone. So we really have to look at those earners, which we're talking about approximately 18,000 millionaires that can contribute to the health and the equality, the equitable gap in our state, considering the wealth that's in our state. It makes sense to you. It, it makes sense to me that- You worry about losing some of them? You worry about losing some of those millionaires who say, you know what, <clears throat> I don't have to stay here. I'm gonna go to Florida, which you know does not in fact have an income tax. Steve, I'm out of here, and then you lose all that revenue? Steve, they have options. A lot of folks here in New Jersey don't have options. New Jersey is home. I, I know folks, especially in my district and throughout the state, who can't just pick up and go. They only have one home. They don't have two homes. Right. They don't have two zip codes. They can't establish residence they in some other state. They can't establish residency in some other state, some other country. No tax shelter. How much more can we give? And the federal impact of not having your property tax covered mm. is devastating to folks who are house wealthy in the state of New Jersey. So something has to give. We're talking with Assemblywoman Shivanda Sumter, who is uh, a leader in the Democratic Party uh, in the uh, Assembly. 
uh, represents Patterson. Any other towns, or is it all Patterson? Garfield, Elmwood Park, North Halden, Halden, and Prospect Park. So, you mentioned racism before. Yes. President Trump. Does it matter? Well, let me try it this way. Ooh. Do you think President Trump has contributed in a positive way to social discourse <laughs> around race? I think that's a, a nice way of saying that. Um, do you think he's a racist? I do not think the president, as the CEO of a great nation, has done enough to uh, unite our United States. <clears throat> has are, he done enough to divide? Um, the, has he divided? The discourse that we face is when we don't speak out as leaders. When you're in a leadership position, you do have that authority and that obligation, I believe, to represent the unity of all and respect for others, especially others of different race and different cultures. Uh, to pit one against the other or not speak out at all, that's a disservice not only to our country but to your oath of office. I'm going to follow up one more time. <laughs> when the president said there are good people on both sides in connection with a very highly publicized and polarizing set of incidents, tiki torches, people who are white nationalists, others who are protesting, good people on both sides. Does that help the discussion? Steve, it doesn't help the discussion. But what I am encouraged by is young people who are speaking out young people who are uniting arm in arm. Even our Jewish youth are speaking out about mm. the swastikas and, and a insensitivity to their story. The same must be said for the African-American plight in this country, as well as any other immigrant who are fleeing uh, uh, detrimental circumstances, not because they don't have love of country or home, but because it's dangerous. There's human trafficking, there's death, there's torture. Let's make sure we have a pathway to citizenship as it has been for generations before us. And Patterson, one of the most diverse communities Absolutely. in the nation, not just the state. Uh, Shavonda Sumter is a leader in the state legislature. She is a vice president at Hackensack UMC, Mountside Hospital. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Steve. Well done. Always a pleasure. We'll be right back right after this. To see more State of Affairs with Steve Adubato programs, visit us online at stateofaffairsnj.org. If you would like to express an opinion, email us at info at caucusnj.org. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PhD, And follow us on Twitter at Steve Adubato. We are honored to be joined by Mr. Edward Dennis, Assistant Vice President, Office of Military and Veteran Affairs, Berkeley College. Good to see you, Ed. Thank you, Steve. It's good to see you, too. 21 years in the uh, Army. Yes. First of all, thank you. So oh, much will. for your service. What was the biggest lesson you took away from that experience about life? About life? That everything has its place and, you know, there's always challenges in life, but if you take the time to, to sit back and look at them, you know, come up with the best plan for yourself, then uh, everything usually works out. It's interesting. You talk about plans. We've talked to your colleagues at Berkeley for a long time. I've, I've done some speaking down there. They also mm -hmm. support what we do at, um, with public broadcasting. But what I'm curious about is the transition that veterans have to make, need to make, must make into society and its connection to college. Right. You say it, you've yeah. got to make the right choice. Oh, absolutely. What does that mean? Well, there, there's kind of a, a nuance when it comes to that. When you're in the military, you don't know what you need to know as a veteran because everybody's still in. It's when right. you get out that you find out. 
So what I talk to them about or, you know, what they should really consider is, you know, while I'm in there, where do I want to go to school? And then really think about the school. Does it line up with what you want to accomplish education-wise? And is it, you know, your learning style and the environment you want to be in? And then really put the research and time into picking the school you want because, you know, some veterans will just get out and they'll, they'll follow the, the, uh, the theme, you know, go to college, get a degree, get a job. But it really matters what you do while you're in college. How'd you do it? I'm a little different. I went in in the military when I was 17, out of high school, and uh, like most veterans, almost 90% of veterans, I'm first generation to go to college. First? Yes. Was it part of the plan for you? Sort of. When I, when I was a private in basic training, and uh, I realized this wasn't too much fun, I thought about going to college. Well, how'd you make the decision as to where to go, though? In the military? No, no, when you were getting out and going to college. Oh, oh, how did you was, do your research? Mine was a little different. I left the military with an MBA. You, but, oh. <laughs> Wow, you left. So yeah. you're the exception. Yeah, I'm a little bit out of the norm. That, how did you know to get an MBA? I want to have a job when I retire. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a planner. Yes. And you also are telling me before we got in the air that you do a lot of coaching of mm -hmm. veterans. What kind of coaching do they need? Well, I talked to them about their grades, um, you know, how important their grades are. So I write a letter every semester for all the students to get A's, which is kind of interesting. The first time I wrote it, it was about 24 letters. Um, this last semester, there were 68 letters that I wrote. Mm. And uh, what I found is, you know, just that little trick, I think Napoleon said something about a piece of, of cloth, you know, a man will do anything for it. It's true. You know, you take veterans and you give them something small. For example, I have my pen on me. This is the first gift that I gave veterans. They get a little gift like that. It's a pretty nice pen. You can keep it. Thank you. And then, uh, you. you know, keychains and other things. But all of a sudden, I see their grades are going up. And then they become competitive with each other. They want to get good grades. But just to highlight that point, you know, work on your grades sure. and do well in school. But the other thing that strikes me, and we've done a fair amount of programming um, dealing with challenges that veterans face, I'm curious from your perspective, the top three challenges that veterans face making the, quote, transition back into society. Okay, top three. I'll say the first one is, you know, the, the lack of structure. When you're in college, you know, you're, it's just different. A lot of the instructors, if you come to class, you come to class. If you don't, you don't. That's, right. that's your choice. And that's across colleges. You know, they keep attendance, but they're not going to make you come to class. It's not high school. No, it's not being in the military. It's not. <laughs> You're totally going to be different. out of time in the military. And the support structure is a little bit different in the military. If you have a question in the military, you know, you ask your supervisor. And then if he or she doesn't know, they ask their supervisor. And it's a very short amount of time before they get to somebody very senior that can answer that question. It's, uh, you know, and this kind of goes into the second one, the... You know, just finding the resources available to you and which ones fit what you're trying to do is probably the second most challenging piece. Mm. And then the third one is just staying, staying on point, just keeping motivated. But, you know, in the time we have left, I'm curious. I said this to you also before we got in the air, that there's mm -hmm. some misconceptions about veterans. Some people believe veterans are just broken. I mean, could, there's yeah. no way you could serve and come back and not be broken. I'm, that's the air quotes, you know. That's true. There, there is a lot of misconception out there that veterans are broken. And, um, you know, some of them have had challenges. You know, we've done things that aren't, you know, done in other parts of society right. to serve our country. You know, but in doing those things, that doesn't make everybody broken. It means, you know, they, they've had some challenges and, you know, they can put it back in order if, say, for example, they have PTSD. You know, there's, there's, there's um, everything out there to help them out. And a good example is, if you look at PTSD, the highest category for folks with PTSD is not veterans. It's not? It's car accident victims. And car accident yeah. victims yes. over veterans. Yep. And then, you know, you have law enforcement and other folks that have traumatic experiences. But, 
you know, and, and today what we're looking at, we see a, a, a lot of um, veterans, right. but veterans are less than 1% of the population. Yeah. Real quick before I let you go. Uh, um, grades, uh, veterans and grades versus non-veterans and grades in college. Institute, interesting study out of University of Military Veterans, or I'm sorry, the uh, Institute for Military and Veteran Families at sure. Syracuse University. Um, they did a study and found that the average GPA for veterans is 3.34. Non-veterans is 2.94 in the United States. So it's higher for veterans? Yes. Um, real quick, 30 seconds left. Number one leadership lesson that you have learned um, from your life in the military and beyond is? In order to be a good leader, you have to be a good follower, which means you have to you know, take in what other people have to say. And as a leader, you're really you know, a servant to, to those that work for you, that you're leading. And if you take that with you, it's amazing what people will accomplish. Edward Dennis. He is Assistant Vice President, Office of uh, Military and Veteran Affairs, Berkeley College. I want to thank you for being with us and once again for not just your service to the country, but what you continue to do for other veterans. Thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. Well it's done. a pleasure. This is State of Affairs. I'm Steve Adubato, and we'll see you next time. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation, celebrating over 30 years of broadcast excellence. State of Affairs with Steve Adubato is brought to you from the Agnes Veris NJTV studio at 2 Gateway. Funding has been provided by the Turrell Fund. Supporting right from the start, NJ. Johnson & Johnson. NJM Insurance Group. International Union of Operating Engineers. Local 825. Fedway Associates. Keystone Mountain Lakes Regional Council of Carpenters. Suez. And by these public-spirited organizations, individuals, and associations committed to informing New Jersey citizens about the important issues facing the Garden State. And by Employers Association of New Jersey. Education begins at birth. The brain develops most rapidly from birth to age three, when critical skills are developed. Parents are the first and best teachers for their children, but for those like me who work, Finding quality, affordable childcare can be challenging. But children have the greatest opportunities for success when they learn and have positive interactions with their caregivers. Because learning doesn't start in the classroom, it starts in the cradle. I could feel my lungs fill with oxygen and I got my life back. The sharing network means to me hope, life, and everything. The sharing network was a lifeline to me when I really needed it. We are an organ procurement organization. The core purpose of the New Jersey Sharing Network is to save and enhance lives. To honor those who gave. A tribute to those who received. Offer hope to those who continue to wait. And remember the lives lost while waiting. For the gift of life. This is Mary Gamba. If you want more leadership tips and tools, log on to stand-deliver.com. That's stand-deliver.com. This edition of the Steve Adubato Leadership Hour has been made possible by New Jersey Resources.